0: Welcome to the podcast. Uh, thanks for being here. Just before we came on air, you told me that you love podcasts. So I'm relaxed.
1: Yeah, me too. Thank you, Tom, for inviting me. Um, it's always great to, to share your passion. Uh, it's not so common to do that in real life, right? You, you have a, lot, a bunch of friends that don't know what sim racing is, you have your partners who are like, ah, he keeps talking about this sim racing thing. I know nothing about mm. it. And then suddenly you find people that you can share so many things about. So that's lovely
0: yeah that is that is actually a really good point um i always uh i always say that the podcast for me is an opportunity to just spend an hour in the week not looking at emails not looking at notion and figma and blah 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 blah, just just kind of zoom out a bit and chat to somebody else in the sim racing space and actually i hadn't really made the connection that you can't really do that anywhere else because it is a niche right or a niche as people would say in north america um <laughs> so yeah, you're right. It is it is nice to find a fellow sim racer to talk to. And actually, there seems to be more and more sim racers. I've noticed, especially in the last year, that you never seem to be more than, you know, one connection away from somebody who sim races now.
1: No, uh I think Well I I think I read somewhere that like Formula One is growing a lot because of Drive to Survive. And I've coached now the first generation of people who got into sim racing because of drive to survive directly. Mm. Like they, they saw it on Netflix. They got involved. They started watching. They, they started getting a bunch of like, you know, the algorithm doing its job. Yeah. yeah. did you know there's like gaming things about that? Oh, did you know you can actually buy a wheel? Did you know, did you know, Mm. did you know? And then suddenly you have like a person who in one year went from knowing nothing from about motorsports toward like to then having a, i don't know three four thousand dollar rig and and having fun and and getting you know excited and 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 the adrenaline kick in when you join a race and they're just addicted so i uh it's growing i think it's i think i think the way is only up
0: yeah it's interesting isn't it because once you're in there's so much to explore there's so many avenues to go down it's like a it's interesting right and I know we're we're going we're going we're going deep right straight away I haven't <laughs> I haven't really properly properly introduced you yet and we're just going deep into sim racing but the interesting thing about sim racing is because it's made up of so many games and those games are, are all simulating a type of motorsport and there's so many types of motorsport you know like some games you'll you'll play and it'll be like an rpg and uh especially like strategy games or mmos it's like you know you can choose to be a, a crafter or a trader or a, a bandit or a pirate or whatever and you can you have freedom to kind of choose your path through the game well sim racing is kind of the same Except you choose your path by choosing which platforms you're going to be on, which race, um, which racing games you're gonna you're gonna play, which communities you're gonna get involved in, which tournaments you want to practice for and watch. So you can kind of you can craft so many different journeys and still be a sim race. You could have one person who might be like one of the most famous people in oval racing on iRacing, but people in Europe who are who are focused on GT racing would never have heard of them. But actually, they've got a huge following, a huge community, a whole world of people that love that environment and the, the setups and the liveries and the broadcasting and the commentators and that you know but but they they share a like a, a common vision with the guys in europe who are maybe doing gt racing and yet don't cross because you can choose all these different paths
1: exactly i mean right now with the way the world is nowadays it's so there are so many big bubbles like bubbles of thousands of people millions mm. of people that don't cross over it's uh crazy it's i mean it's a good thing you will find your bubble for sure whatever you start you get into sim racing you will find what you like uh and you will naturally be drawn to 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 the domain that you like to the team that you like to the club to the league that you like to the game to the the simulator Mm. that you like so there's plenty of options that will match your vision your your dream what what is it that you like is it Off road? Is it? There's an e-sport for that. Is it road? There's an e-sport competition for that. Or is it? Mm. Or there's a a club of there's a league for people who have started late and are not so fast, but they have they they love to share that passion. They have like there's there's so many kinds of of leagues Mm. and and clubs. They will definitely find your own, and you're gonna find your own way to progress and to have fun.
0: Okay, my mind is now racing. Um, so firstly that has triggered a, a horrible horrible memory of very recently being invited to a, a sim racing league that does a set of course it does historic racing but it's called like it was like old men and dads racing league and uh, <laughs> they were chatting about Gridfinder and how they list their their community on Gridfinder for, for drivers to find them i was like it looks fun they're like you should join i was like oh i don't know if i qualify you No, know how old you are? I was like 31 like, yeah you qualify it's 30 and over and i was like
1: Ooh. oh god it's happening it's, it's happening <laughs>
0: But I really like something you said there. You said about, like, find your bubble. Now, Liam, podcast producer, marketing manager, grid finder is listening live to the show. Liam, write that down. I love that. Find your bubble. Because we have the tagline, find your place on the grid. As maybe that's because it's Grid Finder, right? And it just kind of made sense. But mm-hmm. that's, maybe that's a little bit too niche. And actually, when you zoom out, it's about finding your bubble, finding your tribe, right? Finding your... exactly your way through the through the sim racing world but anyway look i don't want to uh, i don't want to, to to i said before this um, show that the challenge with the 30 to 40 minute like deep dive into a human being is that you can get very easy sidetracked. and i was like we just won't do that okay we'll keep ourselves on track and you know well, I think let me like apologize into- <laughs> in advance because
1: i talk a lot
0: <laughs> yeah me too this is gonna be a nightmare okay um i need to remember that i'm the host not the guest oh, shut up so uh <laughs> Yes so, so you have such an incredible CV in the sim racing world in such a relatively short period of time I was um watching some of your videos about your uh radical racing at Motec which looked flipping awesome um I saw some stuff about your formula 4 racing which looked flipping awesome but that's you know both of those are real world racing uh endeavors but you're also the the founder creator of uh, the motorracingchecklist.com the motor racing book. I actually saw you um, talking about that live on the stage at the Sim Racing Expo a few weeks ago. Um, and you're a, a concert pianist. Like, how do you juggle all of
1: this? It's all connected. Oh. It's all connected.
0: Yeah. Tell us more. Like, I have a theory.
1: You know, like uh, my fiance, she's a concert pianist. She's a, uh, she's doing her doctorate right now. That's how we met, actually, because I was doing my my bachelor's in piano in Brazil, um, and She's about to launch an online course called The Practice Checklist. And I Ooh. swear we did not have the same idea. We did not talk about it. Like he, her, her name, like the name of her course was, was perfect for that because out there, there are so many crossovers, so many things from different sports. You can do, I don't know if you know, like The Inner Game of Tennis is a very famous book about tennis that millions of athletes from all domains have to read if you're uh, uh, i don't know um a rugby player rugby r- rug- rugby right <laughs> a rugby rug- player
0: hug- hugby is actually an interesting it would be uh, very very because there, there is a lot of hugging
1: <laughs> <laughs> exactly so if you're a rugby rugby player you have to read that book uh if you if you're a racing driver you have to read that book if you whatever sport because it's the your inner, inner game of tennis is a is a book about the inner strategies for performance. Whatever you do, art, painting, sports, and then this, this is just a tiny example, because when I when I when I did my piano career so over fifteen years, I played with orchestras. I've done piano competitions. I went to a bachelor and master's degree, so I was all in, practicing eight hours a day, seven hours a day, and. I started finding the best processes for learning, for using, the, using your time the best way, not creating bad habits, how to feel your body, how to actually create new muscle memory. Uh, and all of that, as soon as I went to sim racing, I was like, oh wait, I, I can apply so much of it. So much of it. And a lot of the, and this is the fun, the, 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 the interesting bit from this is that if you think of music, you have thousands of years of literature it's a very old thing. It's been with us forever. Motorsports is only 150 years old, maybe 200 maximum, right? So I, I might be all over the place right now with the years. But the thing is, motorsports is young. It's just starting. And the literature, the technique literature is also still young. You don't have a lot of people talking about technique in the effective way. It's very easy to talk about theory. It's very easy to talk about um the the physics involved in a race car, but how can you, as a human being, actually go there and feel it out and develop your your technique in the best way possible that's i mean there are great schools out there, but it's still rare it's not like spread out like the music um mm. world so I was consistently bringing that from piano, and I had a whole story with piano having bad habits. I started without a teacher and I I developed so many bad habits that even today, after 15 years of actually having good teachers and trying my best, I still carry some of them, like some glimpses of like some, you know, it's all there. So when I got into sim racing, I was like, okay, this is a hobby. Great. But I don't want to develop bad habits. I want to learn the right things. And I want to teach my body the right way because the body is dumb. It it repeats whatever (laughs) instruction you give to it. Right. Mm. So if you, if, you, if you say, oh, you have to, you have to hold your breath while, while, while driving and then you learn this, it's going to feel right even if it hurts you, even if it hurts your performance. Your body is dumb. It's just going to repeat it. So I was, I was all in trying to um, prevent these things from happening. And I came into sim racing with a whole mindset of efficiency. And that's why I think I was able to, to develop my skills quite quickly uh so over two years i went from beginning to sim racing to being uh brazilian like not not, not champion but like i was holding brazilian titles in in the best leagues mm-hmm. so i think um a lot of the concepts a lot of the the ways i think ninety ninety nine percent comes from piano
0: i'd see i find this fascinating right <clears throat> and i think um for people who have listened to a few episodes now. Um, over the the last year and a bit we've had over 70 people on this show and i have noticed a trend that people who have an affinity with sim racing also seem to have an affinity with music and that's either because they play guitar or they play another kind of instrument or they dj i've noticed so many like so you know um gamer muscle chris hay steve worrell like the three you know three people one of those guys is a, is a kind of tech entrepreneur in sim racing and two are two are creators one's very much a streamer one's somebody who's doing youtube um, on demand content about sim racing and setups and stuff but they all seem to have this affinity with music and i, I, I and i've tried to work out what it is because is, is it is it to do with rhythm is it to do with the discipline you need in order to get good at it that there's something about you're talking those. about like
1: being a musician right actually yes, playing or something or
0: just being musical yeah so djing or playing an instrument there seems to be a link between very musical people and sim racers
1: i think it's the we like to be active like you know mm. like when you're a kid uh, it's been told that if you leave your kid watching tv all day as they grow up they become a very passive person they don't mm-hmm. want to do stuff their brain is like they're just receiving there's mm-hmm. only the vectors in information in but they don't actually interact with it mm-hmm. uh, and the the other end of the spectrum is a, a kid who's always playing with toys with video games with stuff they're active they want to do something they want mm-hmm. to be part of it so i think playing music and driving a race car is similar in 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 this um how can i say that um in the fact that you're consistently in charge
0: yeah you're responsible that's very interesting
1: and i think that's uh that's not necessarily for music It's anything that is that requires constant attention responsibility mm. uh you know like i i, I I grew up playing video games like a madman, like a mad kid. <laughs> so basically, I was so addicted to MMORPGs back then. Well, that's how I learned English. I would wake up at 4 a.m. To, to, to grind, to farm in my games before I would go to school at 6. And would come back from school, have lunch, and then back to the game. And in the game, I was playing Lineage 2. It was a very old MMORPG. I had a clan with 200 people and I was like uh, 14 and I was like leading these people. I was creating strategies. I was organizing. I I was developing social skills. I was developing uh, notions of responsibility, of consequences, of, you know, dealing with all that. So while being so young, I was like, I was getting ready, almost like developing entrepreneurship. 100% 100%. because i was playing mmos and like no one sees that right my, my parents were like oh you're going to get addicted is this is bad for you it's bad for your eyes it's bad for whatever mm. and uh in the meantime my brother was like watching tv or doing something and like and, he, and they were like oh no he's doing something better cuz he's not playing video games you know but like it's very difficult like to when you're growing up to know exactly what kind of activities you're doing are going to develop your traits your 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 skills for the future and for me i think um the, the, simp- the, most, the simplest way to, to to divide this is being an active person or not being an active person.
0: I think it's it's interesting. Uh, uh, it's funny because me and my co-founder, Nicol at Gridfinder, we've been talking about this the last couple of, weirdly, mornings. I, I seem to get up and we'll start messaging at like 7 o'clock in the morning and just with like ideas that we wake up with, which is, I don't know, maybe weird, maybe not. Um, and we were talking this morning about um, like creation and what creation is and whether there's whether there's something about what we're doing in entrepreneurship there's something about creation that appeals to us now it strikes me that you are a creator right and I don't mean that in the kind of throwaway content creator sense like I'm not saying you obviously are a content creator but it's deeper than that it feels like ever since you were a kid you're not satisfied by just okay sim racing is great i'm going to turn up and i'm going to get good at sim racing like that in itself a lot of people would be very happy with that get good at sim racing and race as part of a group that's fine and that's totally you know okay but it feels to me like whenever you're doing anything whether it's you know music mmorpgs or sim racing it's what can i build in this space how can i lead this group and gaming the globalization of gaming has essentially been the perfect breeding ground for that approach in your life.
1: Yes, and um it's just like you know, like there's always that person in the family when you when you go to a to a trip that wakes up everyone in the morning. Says, "Oh, we gotta enjoy the trip. Let's do something. Let's get out. Let's la!" So that, <laughs> that's my sister. Like she she was basically mm. waking up everyone super early. Um, when we're traveling to do stuff because she didn't want to miss it. I didn't have that kind of leadership in that environment. I was a very lazy person. I just wanted to sleep a little bit more. But I kind of have that trait in other ends. And so I have this trait in content creation. I have this trait while coaching. Like, okay, hey, let let me help you like really not lose time. Like Mm. you're spending two hours of your life here. How can we make the best out of it? How can you have the most fun out of it? How how, How can it be like not frustrated and so on? I like, I know exactly how to guide people in sim racing in content creation like my sister would guide the family in trips so um I think I brought a bit of that in different domains but I you you nailed it I think it's a it's a matter of like feeling that you are responsible for in, improving the experience for others especially mm-hmm. newcomers right now cuz now there's this responsibility like people there's a lot of people who say I literally started sim racing because of your channel. Yeah. And it's a huge responsibility. Like I'm changing lives right now, even if it's a small thing. Right. But like there's people who have been, who have told me like, oh, like kind of like I was bored. I didn't know what to do with life. And now I have a team. I prepare for endurance events and heart rate goes up the roof. So like people are really having a lot of fun. And in a way I presented it to them and it feels great to do it
0: that's so that's so interesting the sense of responsibility that you get inherently by creating i uh, you create something whether that's a course whether that's your book whether it's the, the 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 checklist like you by creating there's a sense of responsibility to make sure that that is the best for that person and is it responsibility on a personal basis or is it responsibility for like the space that you're in, i.e. You sim racing or responsibility for the business to do well so you can pay your bills or is it, is it an overwhelming sense of responsibility to that individual that, okay, they found sim racing through me, so I need to make sure that this journey that they go on, they get, they get set off on the right foot.
1: I think it's a social responsibility. It's more like, you know, humans are not one body. Humans, humans are one big conglomerate of of brains, and that's that's what we built. Like we we would not work alone, like we need each other, right? So in a way, we're it's like like in brain we have neurons, uh in the in the world we have people. It's like the same thing. We create connections and we improve each other. So I think it's a it's a social responsibility I, I get from the society. I have clean water. I have like science. I have you know, uh, laser surgery and medicine. And I give back by, hey, entertainment. Like, hey, enjoy your life better. Hey, drive better. Have more fun. So it's a very tiny, tiny, tiny contribution that I'm giving back to society. Um, and what I get as a, as one person is a huge world to live in and with so so many amazing things. So it's it's a social responsibility to give back.
0: I love that. And something you said... Earlier, you said, um, you know I learned entrepreneurship um, when you were playing the the uh, MMORPG, right um, has business and i 'm kind of saying business rather than entrepreneurship has business always been something that you 've been interested in and motivated by when you 're creating the checklist or creating the book or you know whatever it is creating your 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 reach your following." Is it, is it the idea of building a business that's exciting or is it the more foundational concept of entrepreneurship where it's just creating something? Like, How have you found that transition from, okay, I'm giving back, I have this social responsibility to, okay, I now need to make sure that I'm studying business principles and marketing principles and that we're being efficient and that we've got our funnel set up correctly. Like, How have you found that process and that transition?
1: It was never a plan. It was never a plan. I started coaching in 2019 with the sole intention of making money for my tuition when I got admitted to my master's degree in piano. And as soon as I did, as soon as I, I finished my first session, I was like, oh, that's easy. <laughs> I'm good. And then I did the second one, third, fourth, and then all the way to, I think currently we are at 2050 sessions. Um, it was an a, on, 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 ongoing process of realizing that that could be a thing instead of, oh, I made money for the piano thing. I'm going to continue with the piano. Of course, yeah, okay. So it was never intended and then COVID hit. So I could not go out to play piano. I could not go Mm. out to have piano lessons. And sim racing is exploding because sim racing in essence is virtual. So in a way that that, that pulled me towards investing even more time in, in it. And as I was improving, as I was realizing that I was having, oh, you know, at some point, I just realized I was doing 30 sessions a week. I was like, I realized that that could be a business months after it was already a successful business. <laughs> <laughs>
0: That's and very after challenging.
1: I, I realized that, I was like, okay, I have to actually realize, okay, I'm getting into a point right now where I'm limited by the amount of time that I'm investing. Like it's taking all my time. I'm making a lot of money, but now money is not the problem anymore. Okay, I can already pay my rent. I can already like enjoy life and just like have fun. Cool. How can I make this even better? How can I have a bigger bigger impact? So let's try to learn like how can we scale things? How can like how can I impact more people? So I went from Twitch to YouTube because Twitch is not that scalable. YouTube is more mm. scalable. You can go viral. You can get like millions of views if, if, if the video does well. On Twitch, you have to be live. So it kind of gets stuck a little bit. So I, I did that transition from, from Twitch to YouTube and then from Twitch to Instagram and then from one-on-one sessions only to creating a course that would be available uh, on demand. So then if it goes viral and a thousand people buys it, I don't have to work a thousand hours more. So I was realizing that as the problems of not the problems, as the, well, problems, problems of time constraints were starting to show up. And then I had to study to study marketing, study business, study uh, productivity, and improve my own health, work out, eat better, sleep better in order to solve these problems. So I, I studied business as I had business issues.
0: And what did you study?
1: Um, okay, so a lot. I studied psychology. I studied psychology. Uh, uh, some psychology books. Um, based, uh, well, I can cite some names. So, Robert Cialdini. There's a big bible about psychology called Influence. Uh, how to become a more likable person. How to understand uh, others' minds. How to have a nice conversation. How how to how, how to negotiate in business. How to have better marketing. How to treat your partners and your family better. Uh, so it's a, it's a, basically it's a, it's a manual on social interaction. And because I was having so much social interaction right now, cause I was going viral and everything. Mm. Then I had to really nail this part. Um, and then I started doing, um, more negotiating negotiation books. I think Chris Foss never split the difference. And then I started reading marketing books, Alex Hormozzi. I went for a hundred million offers. I'm about to start a hundred meter, a hundred million leads, then I read a bunch of, uh, I think it's Scott Adams. Um, so it's really a, a lot of books about marketing and psychology. Pretty much. I think that's the essence of it. Because I was already pretty, I mean, I, I did read um, a lot of sim racing technique as well because I was developing my own thing. I was like, okay, I have to do a, a, a field research to understand what's available mm. out there. And then I realized there were, there were so many gaps. So I started like, the more I read, the more I understood what I really needed to do.
0: Yeah. Um,
1: but yeah, I think business wise, it was pretty much marketing and psychology.
0: That's, that's really interesting because essentially, especially in the early days, the product is you. So you, it sounds like you, you made a very conscious decision to, right. If I'm going to improve the product, that means I need to improve me. And that's a, that's a, there's a, there's a holistic approach to that. That doesn't necessarily mean I have to study to be a better coach like that's fine I can start to be a better coach and I could charge more for my coaching sessions but that's not the scalable bit because there is a cap on the price of an hour one-to-one so how do you replicate yourself a thousand ten thousand hundred thousand times over that's fascinating now you said during your first coaching session at the end of that session you, you thought I'm good at this how did you know like what what is it in your opinion that makes a good coach and how did you? just arrive there on your first session
1: That's a very good question. Um I don't want to brag, but most coaches, like 99.9% of the coaches tell you when to break, when to turn, what to do. I never do that. I try not to do it. I try not to answer. A student asks me, "Should I do second or third here?" And I say, "I don't know." Uh, what are the factors that we are going to to reflect on to, to have to create to 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 come to this decision let's think on second gear you get more engine braking on third gear you have lower torque the differential acts a little bit less and then i start making the student figure out the answer in that corner specifically because then they can replicate that autonomously in other corners if I tell you oh I, here I break at 150 great But like, what are you creating a dumb person because you're just giving instructions? No, you have to create autonomy. And as a coach, I realized that very early. I was like, what if I just tell him to break here in this place and to use this gear, he's not going to know how to do that in a different corner. How can (laughs) I create a thought process in the student's head that is replicable to other situations? So So I did that. that's, That's from piano. That's from piano like Mm. in piano the teacher would never tell me what finger to use on that note it's like why would you use this finger because it creates this motion and blah blah blah, and it helps before it helps after so i cannot accept like just telling the student what to do i I i think that sucks i prefer to spend more time developing a skill of autonomy and then uh, in my first session, I realized that the student was only asking things like what to do, what to do, what to do, what to do. I said, like, if you want to know what to do, just watch a guide. Like I watch want to... Watch a YouTube video, ex- right? Yeah, exactly. It's all there. What I want to do is how can you become the benchmark? How can you be the guy who tells where to break to your teammates? And that's, that's what I did initially. It was like, okay, let's try to figure out the factors that actually matter that will develop your, your, your skills. Um, and then from there I realized that the student was like, Well, I actually had coaching with this guy, this guy, this guy, this guy. They never did that. They just tell me they just told me where to break. Mm. And I was always slower after in, in a new track, in a new car. But with you, you taught me things that I was able to apply in a different game, in a different simulator, in a different car, in a different track. And that, and as soon as he told me that, I was like, This is the way to go. And then I never stopped. So it was Pretty much from the first session, I was already thinking about how can I create um, ways to teach that are going to be replicable.
0: There's a theory that the, um, the difference between coaching and mentoring is that to be a mentor, you have to essentially apply your past to somebody else's present, right? So, so let's take, um, for myself, for example, I have a, a business mentor, somebody who's been in business 30 years, super successful, several uh, companies and exits, done very well. So I'm kind of living his, his past, right? So that's a mentor, somebody who can give you uh, very targeted advice, almost instructional uh, at times. Whereas a good coach, in theory, never has to have done the discipline the skill the sport the business themselves so the best football coach in the world doesn't necessarily have to have ever played football themselves coaching is a is a method not an instruction yep how on a sliding scale of coaching to mentoring where do you think you sit
1: it depends on the student so i mm. can do all four it's four it's okay teaching instructing coaching mentoring Teaching is literally injecting new information. Instructing mm-hmm. is telling what to do. Coaching is reflecting on what they are already doing. And mentoring is a more deep... Um, holistic. Yeah, holistic thing. So it depends on, on your level. If you're just starting, then I will teach you stuff. I will take the time to... Well, first of all, I will probably reject the session and say, okay, go through my course first, get the mm. basics, and then we do a session because then you're just going to like waste your money in stuff that is uh, available out there. I try to always um, accept the ones that will really benefit, that they really need me at that point, like the people who have finished the course and are still a little bit like, okay, I understand everything, but I don't know exactly what to apply first. Okay, then let's do a session and I'm going to pinpoint what bits you should uh, reflect on. So it really depends so much. Like My coaching session depends, it varies so much because I teach kids who are seven-year-old, eight-year-old, like who barely speak this is uh, uh, like I had a session with a kid he was eight years old, and he only spoke one word all session. It was okay, 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 <laughs> and it was pretty much that, and he was a genius now he drives for Coanda. so like wow. you can imagine, um I think we've been working together for four years. Uh, his name is Xander Reed, and I mean that's a a totally different teaching styles. I was was actually having to create, oh no, but if you turn too much, the front tires are going to cry. They're not going to like it. Try to like personify the the, the physics to make it more understandable. And then you go all the way to a student who has, who's like 71 year old, who has like a a Air Force former, like, you know, like legend. And that's a totally different way to, to explain things. He already knows the physics. He already has all the knowledge then like it's it's a totally different way of teaching so i really adapt uh depending mm. on what you need and what is your background
0: how much do you learn when you're coaching
1: so much so much
0: i think i became
1: a much better driver after i started coaching because i had to understand mm. the thing in order to explain it like i it, i i needed to know what i was doing to Sometimes I was like, okay, I don't really know here. Let me drive. And then I would drive and I would like think, what am I doing here that is kind of unconscious, subconscious? And then I would bring that up to consciousness so I could digest it and then Mm -hmm. explain it. So in this process, I, I was able to pinpoint all my driving traits and all the concepts and all the possibilities and all the driving styles. And I started like writing down. So during all these 2050 sessions that I've done so far, I have a notepad open, always. And then whenever something that I'm explaining is new that I never explained it to anyone, I write it down and I have a full database of things that I've explained that worked, that didn't work, that work well. If you're in this level that work well, if you're driving this kind of car, if this car is oversteer, you have to think like this. So I, I started creating like so many, I created like such a huge database that that's when I decided to create the motor racing checklist. Like I got everything. That matters and put in one product. So, and then in this process of developing all these things, I started noticing my own things, my own bad habits, my own Mm. solutions that worked on a top level, on a 0.1% esports level. After I was teaching someone who was a beginner on how to solve, so it made me a much, much, much better driver.
0: It's incredible, isn't it? It's, uh, so in a, in a past life I used to uh teach people how to navigate warships so I was I'd gone through and I'd, I'd done it for a few years myself and I was captain of a ship and then I was went to the naval academy to teach and I noticed that just the process of teaching people how to do stuff it just it it seems to embed the knowledge even deeper within yourself and I can't quite explain it but it, once you teach something or you coach something your understanding of it just by going through the process of teaching and coaching, it seems to be subconsciously reinforced because you're having to like, how do I explain this to somebody who doesn't know? And then you start to, you, you start to kind of reveal the unknown unknowns of the subconscious like you were saying there, like what am I subconsciously doing? Like you have to go through that process. And then I started when I was teaching, I would start getting the students even after a couple of weeks of the course to teach, each other something, so they, you split up their syllabuses a little bit, so they were doing different things at different times, and then okay, right now teach that to them, teach that to them, and you know it's such a powerful way of um, of progressing your own craft and, and developing a, a much deeper knowledge of what you're doing. And I wonder, I mean, let me throw this to you: Would you, if if an aspiring esports driver is is listening, and it blew me away when I went to the Red Bull Factory that some of them do listen to this this podcast. Would you recommend coaching as a training activity for those who want to get in that 0.1.
1: yes yes um it's a when you when you try to teach something you have to think about it and therefore you're doing an unintended visualization practice of it there's people who actually do that there's athletes i think it's michael phelps he was the legend of visualization practice like he would like He would literally um, use the words, play the tape in his head. He was practicing his swimming mm. moves in his head. Um, and whenever, whenever you're trying to explain what you do to someone else, you're practicing. Because you are doing this practice in order to, to communicate it to someone else. So it does help. It does help for sure. Uh, it, do, it helps you become a more adjustable driver. The more you can describe what you do, the more you can change it. If you mm. can't, if it's all by heart, by feeling, and there's some, a lot of people who like, who like to glamorize doing things by feeling. Oh no, it's, uh, um, it's just the way I do. Instinct. It's my driving style. And then they become like protective or uh, mm. protective of their own driving style. I think that can hurt you actually because it, then it solidifies what you do. And in case you have some tiny bad habits, you're never going to change them. So yeah, the guess, more you describe, the more you can adjust.
0: 100%. I guess people who say that they're doing it on instinct, by instinct, they essentially mean they have behaviors that they can't explain, and yeah. they can't understand, and therefore they can't progress, analyze, evaluate, remove, or add to, right?
1: Yeah, exactly. But in to things is very good. That's how you work.
0: Mm. So <laughs> this conversation has not gone how I expected it to go at all this is absolutely fascinating and i want to dive into this for, for ages right and, and as i always do i have like a list of, of different topics and i feel like we've only we've barely scratched the surface right so i'm going to do something that i've never done before but i'm kind of excited to see how you react right i'm going to list a couple of the talking points that i wanted to cover here and we've only really got time for one more large topic right so i'm going to let you choose right so formula four how the hell that happened the radical and your season for for next year, And your, especially your experience of speed and how it changed your your thinking in the in the car. Um, Why write a book? Those were the three things that I had left to cover, and I don't think we can cover all three. I think we might have to have a part two to this. (laughs) Maybe (laughs) maybe next year. I'm down to throw that over to you.
1: Yeah. Okay. So the Formula Four thing. It was. It was a very long process. So basically, I had a student in 2019 when I was starting. He was one of my first 10 students.
0: The before times.
1: Yeah, exactly. COVID. And then he disappeared. I disappeared. He started living his life. I started living my life. Then, two years later, no, three years later, I decided to start a YouTube channel in January of 2020. Yeah, January this year, 2023. I had 2,000 subscribers then. But then I. Well, that's that's when I decided to move from Twitch to YouTube, and I had already a year of experience in algorithm, and I I was I started like studying how to really get better, uh, in making things go viral. So I was I'm literally studying like a madman, um, and then I, my YouTube exploded, and he saw that it was exploding. And by by this time, like three years later, he had joined a Formula Four team, in Miami, so he was like, well, I know him, I know that he can drive. It's a good driver. And we're looking for someone to do a collaboration for exposure. So it was that. Like, they just sent me a message. Hey, do you want to drive a Formula 4 in real life? I was like, what? <laughs> I remember I remember what I was wearing, what I was eating in breakfast in a Sunday morning when I got that message. What it was were crazy. you eating? Uh, oatmeal with uh, soy, chocolate milk, and uh, eggs.
0: <laughs> Body is your temple, right? <laughs> and I was watching the
1: Big Bang Theory <laughs> with my girlfriend.
0: Oh, nice, nice.
1: And I I just started. I ran to the PC and like, okay, let's 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 schedule a call and everything. And then I was so suspicious of it because I would never expect like it, <laughs> yeah. it, it has to be a scam. Yeah, yeah. And then no, it actually happened. And I actually went there and drove a Formula Four in real life for the first time. And it was I'm a very cautious, progressive driver. I know all the mistakes that you can do, and I think and it goes back to that coaching thing right so i know all the mistakes that you can do that can make you spin and crash and a lot of that is from my own experience driving but a lot of that is also from seeing the the mistakes at a more quintessential beginner level because when you're when you're a pro esports driver you can you you're making some smaller mistakes but you're always fault- you're always so close to the limit that you don't really notice the the Essence of the mistakes, but when you're a beginner, it, it it screams at you what is the main the root source of the mistake. So I brought those concepts to 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 you know to I I made them as clear as possible, and then I was able to apply that while driving the Formula Four in real life. I was like, okay, I know that if I um lock the rear a little bit here, I'm gonna spin right away, or I know if I turn in too slowly initially and don't get the car to point then i'm gonna have to compensate that later and turn more mid corner at high speed and then i'm gonna spin and so on so i i I was playing all these like doom scenarios in my head and prevented them and that's why i was so cautious i was like very progressive and in the end it worked out so well we made a video and it went viral almost four hundred thousand views right now on youtube which for a a long format video is that is viral yeah Uh, and then since then it was so the exposure for the team was so good that they invited me to race again and then again and then again. So I did like four (laughs) race weekends for free because they were getting so much exposure and my videos were getting better and better. I hired an editor and I was like, all in, this is my value. Like if Mm. any team wants exposure, they just can like give me a ride. I'm going (laughs) to spend a month editing a banger Netflix style video and that's going to go viral. So that's, that's why I, what I started focusing on this year and I got a win in real life. So that was amazing. And then from there I got a radical invitation to test. Um, I still had to pay, but it was a much, much, uh, very discounted price for that. So I was able to pay using the code, the course's money. And again, the video from the radicals, I, I posted like th- three months, uh, so sorry, three weeks ago and it's almost hundred yeah. K views. So it's also go going viral. So I'm thinking, okay, that's, that's the business for me. It's like, I am the the, the character of a story and I am, I have to, to portray it in the best way possible. Mm. And then, I mean, the amount of money that you would have to spend in, in, in actual like paid boosts or Facebook ads or stuff to get the amount of, of, of exposure that you get
0: Mm. by
1: putting me in a car and letting me do the the job is crazy. Like you would have to spend $300,000 to get the amount of exposure that you're getting in my channel. Um and it costs like a fraction of that to put me in a car. I mean, depending on the car. <laughs> but
0: and, and the great well, thing there is you get go. to go do some driving, right? Now the driving is so whenever I see sim racers go and do real world driving. I'm always torn, right? Between two two theories. One is this is great for your personal brand, right? This this gives you this gives you this uh element of um almost like uh like in- integrity within the sport. You have something to point at to say look it validates. it validates your 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 courses, right? Look look what I'm doing at this higher level of the sport. The other take on it is okay, it's another sim racing that we've now lost to motorsport. The focus will shift away from sim racing to the real world of motorsport, but they're never gonna be an F1 driver. So I'm now a viewer to fund somebody's racing which by the way is a very cynical cynical uh um take like how do you balance putting out real motorsport content with those who have followed your personal brand because of its affinity to sim racing
1: I will never get away from sim racing. Uh, There are some, I mean, well, I'm saying that, but if someone invites me to Formula One, I will have to, sorry. But um, (laughs) like the, I'm driving a lot in real life. I think in 2023, I I went to six or seven race weekends, maybe eight. That's a lot. I mean, for Mm. me as a sim racer who went to real life and still that's eight times you travel for four days. You have enough time to do the other stuff. The only reason I'm I'm not doing a lot of sim racing right now, I mean, sim racing driving, is that I'm doing a lot of sim racing content for coaching. I'm literally, I'm creating, like I said, five hours of content on my new online course. Mm. That's so much sim racing content. So it's still there. It's alive. I'm making more and more content on YouTube. I'm creating. It's kind of difficult to choose exactly what you're going to put. Like you have... You have no choice, you have to follow the algorithm the way it works. If I want to create a very advanced course uh, and make it uh, into a, a YouTube video, it, it most likely will not go viral because a lot of people will get bored. It's like mm. you have to understand exactly what kind of content you put out. Um, but I am still doing a lot of some racing. I actually did just did a, a kind of a national league in Canada yesterday in a, in a radical, and it was the most beautiful race finish ever in iRacing. And I recorded all it, I'm gonna make a, a YouTube video about it. So I don't think, I, I, my job, I think my, my essence is in the bridge. Mm. Like I have a bunch of students who come from real life to sim racing. They build a rig because they wanna practice to get better in real life. I got a bunch of students who started in real life, in, in sim racing, who started in sim racing and then decided to move to a track day in real life, then they got hooked. And they were like, no, now I'm I'm joining an actual league. I'm doing like Lucky Dog or like events, uh, like uh, grassroots level racing in real life. I have students who went from sim racing to actually racing prototypes in real life. So I'm in the bridge, I'm right here. I'm like, I- I'm always in the bridge. I'm, I I don't see myself, it would be, sad to see myself moving only Mm. to motorsports and and kind of abandoning some racing because that's my that's how i built my own story that's how i built my own technique and i think i'm i'm responsible i have a social responsibility of being the bridge and bringing people from there hey like you were just like me you had a g29 in a desk and i'm pulling you to maybe someday driving in real life that's my my mission
0: i love that beautifully said now um when we told our listeners that you were coming on the show uh understandably we got a lot of questions so um if you're listening and you submit a question thank you very much we, we, we've chosen two of them to keep it short we're trying to keep this to 30 40 minutes i think i've already failed right <laughs> but i have absolutely no regrets this has been this has been fantastic right um So uh, if if you want to submit questions to our our future guests, just make sure that you're in our our Discord, watching on Facebook and Instagram, et cetera. We post as soon as the guest is um, confirmed and ask for your questions. So two questions that we picked um, for you. Uh, The first one is from uh, Fabrizio Rinaldi uh, on on X Twitter. Um, He says, uh, I think you're pushing sim racing learning forward with concepts like MRP. What's next? Any plans on how you'll advance sim racing even more?
1: I think it's a constant refinement of ideas. And sometimes when I refine them enough, I find a wall and I have to break that wall with a name. So the MRP was that. Like, what is end of braking? What is apex? Like, sometimes you coast because the car is already rotating a lot and you have to wait. So your end of braking is in a different place but then how how are you going to teach when it's where's the like like sometimes you have three different things you have like the apex you have the end of braking and you have the place you accelerate that's too confusing why don't you place a name for the minimum speed that will actually like structure the corner in a better way so the mrp was my ultimate solution to that and i think honestly the mrp is is my my baby it's like the concept that <laughs> when i did that i was like wow okay so mrp stands for maximum rotation point which is basically the place where you reach the minimum speed the peak rotation the peak steering and you start accelerating in some cars that 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 maximum rotation point happens after you already started you already released the brakes for a while cuz you're coasting for a while in other cars that means still heavy braking until that point, and then you connect that tail of the brake trace into the throttle. So, but now but all cars will have one point because it's physics. Your speed goes down, you can rotate more. When you start accelerating, you should expect less rotation. So there's a lot of people who say, Oh, I rotate my car on power. That's wrong. Because if you're gaining speed and rotation at the same time, you were either under the limit before, in order for the car to handle that or you're going over the limit and you're losing the car on exit. So the MRP solves a lot of problems. Like I the lesson on MRP that I that I'm creating for the 2.0 course right now, the moderation checklist 2.0 is huge. It's 40 minutes because I I it's not only the concept, it's the build up of the concepts. What were the problems that led to the creation of that name? And then what does it imply? It implies that your speed should be going down that you spiral down into the middle of the corner. So your line is not a full circle. It's always an ellipse or spiraling down braking, and then spiraling up on power. And then how are you going to shape that depending on the downforce? Is it a V shape or U shaped? There's so many implications of just trying to divide the corner in two without having to divide it physically and the apex, but um, in the in car wise, so you can drive the line, right? You can, have, you can, you can trace a line, uh, the ideal line on a, on a corner, or you can trace the ideal line that the car is able to do. And depending on the car, that line is going to be drastically different. So like I said, like, I, I don't remember when. It was funny. Okay, I, I actually remember. So when I was recording the more Racing Checklist 1.0 a year and a half ago, during the session, the name of the lesson was True Racing Arc. My point was to say that the racing arc is not a circle, but it's an ellipse. And then during that recording, no scripted, nothing. I was just recording on the camera. I said, the maximum rotation point. And then I was like, oh, that's the name of it. That's the name of it. Boom. And then I started like checking. I, I, I was reading uh, Ross Bentley. I was reading um, Carol Smith. I think there's a guy. His name is Snot. I forgot this name, but, but there's a, a an article of a guy like on the internet. There's a, b- a bunch of articles out there that I was trying to read to see if I found something similar. No, there was not. Like People did not talk about that. I was like, but this is so important. And then I started working on this concept with high-level drivers, drivers who were competing in the Porsche Esports Super Cup in iRacing, drivers who were 9k rating, who were like... And then I started talking about this, and it actually helped them and I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. And then a mm. uh, real life hero formula champion took my course. And he was like, dude, this maximum rotation point is genius. And I was like, what? Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> and then after that, I was like, okay, let's, let's build it. Let's make it a legendary concept. And that is right now the gem of my courses. So if you take the course, you're going to see a lot of stuff that, um, that you already know, but it's explained in a better way. But the actual gem are the lessons around the maximum rotation point.
0: Do you know what I, I find fascinating is that it, it, you haven't taken the current learnings, understandings, methodology of racing and gone, okay, how can I teach people how to do this? Or how can I coach people to adhere to this doctrine? You're essentially, as you're coaching, you're subconsciously coaching yourself. And because your coaching method is so intrinsically about understanding, not Muscle memory and doing, not you know, do as do as I say. It's about understanding the why. You're coaching yourself to break through current doctrine, to use that word, to create new methods of getting faster, which is fascinating because you're essentially practicing what you preach.
1: And that is why I wrote a book.
0: And that is why I was like,
1: wrote a book. This is my contribution. Like, there's not a lot of literature out there. How can I document this? How can I leave a legacy? Like, when I'm dead, my book is still going to be there the mm. maximum rotation point people are going to talk about it and I'm feeling so proud when I see people talking about the maximum rotation point like
0: well I'm glad that with question came other. in then <laughs> I'm glad that question came in Fabrizio Rinaldi uh, that was an absolute thank you for Fabrizio question. thank you so uh, next and final question and this is from uh, okay this, this is not going to roll off the tongue uh, from D L R one C I'm sure there's a story behind that. I don't know what it is. Uh, in, our, in the Grid Finder Discord, this is a, this, we've gone from, we've gone from uh, strategy here. We're going right into the weeds, We're going into the tactics here. Um, how do tire temperatures and tire wear work in iRacing? And what's the best way to get tires in a good working window early into a race slash quali session? Totally different question. And I love
1: okay. It. That's a very good question as well, because that is the question that separates 6K drivers to 8K drivers to 10k drivers it's all about managing your temperatures um i have a full lesson about that now i'm already (laughs) pretty much uh advertising my own online course here but i do have a, a full 25 minute lesson about that and i divide the tire temperatures into three ranges three windows one is short term which is what happens to the surface of the of the of the tire during one corner from entry to late exit and then what happens in a sector so if you have Three corners in a row, then the tire surface temperatures are going to be carried over, and what happens in a full stint? So what what you do over the the bigger picture in a two hour stint? How it can affect and it's huge. So, <laughs> um, the short term basically is if you scrub, you generate temperature. In i racing, more surface temperature means less grip. So. The, be- the best way I found to explain this was to a kid when I was doing a coaching session. And I said, imagine that these tires have health bars. And as you start turning into the corner, you consume those, the, the, that, that, that energy. You consume the health of the tire. And then the less health you have, the less grip you have. But the problem is, if you turn a little bit too much, say you start understeering a little bit on corner entry, right? Before the apex. By the time you get deeper into the corner, closer to the apex, you already have less health bar, right? Because you have more surface temperature. And you're going to have less grip. But because you have less grip on that tire, say front tires, you want to turn more. So you scrub them even more, you consume even more health, and you overheat them even more, and you have even less grip. So it's very, 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 very easy to get into a snowball effect where you have less grip, you understeer even more, and then by the time you exit the corner your tires are done. And if you have another corner right after, you already come into that corner with the front tires overheated and you're probably going to understeer again. Now, what I, what, how, how can I use that? Well, first of all, you don't want to overheat the tires. So please do not use ABS. If, you, if you're driving a GT3 car, you do not want to see the, 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 the lights on the dash. You wanna be right under that ABS. The car is gonna stop a tiny bit less. But the actual cornering grip that you get when you start turning is going to compensate that. You're going to have a better exit. You're going to take care of your tires. It's going to last more. You're literally going to be faster in that corner. And you're going to save your tires for, for, for longer stints. I was coaching Alberto Nasca. He's a YouTuber. Um, very famous one in Italy. I think his Italian channel has like a million subscribers. He drives in real life. He's a professional real life driver. He, he just drove a GT3 car. And we were doing a session in iRacing. He did three. He did three laps, and his tires, his front tires, were were twenty. Sorry, ninety one percent tire tire wear left. ninety one percent tire wear. Then I realized that he was using a little bit too much ABS and doing all this that I described. Like he was just understeering a little bit too much, and then it was snowballing into even less grip mid corner. So he was turning more and blah blah blah. Then. We tried to solve it. Okay, let's use a little bit more engine braking. Let's try to do this. Let's try to do this line. It was a full hour of micro changes to help him get more rotation with using less steering. And then three laps later, he had 93% left instead of 91%. So that's a 2% tire wear difference in a faster lap time in three laps. Now imagine if you're doing a freaking two hour stint 2% in two laps, in three laps. That's mm. like, we're talking about 15% tire wear difference. We're talking about going faster and still going exponentially faster by the end of the stint because you have more tires left. So that, and you see, I only talked about the short-term temperature, but it does snowball into the midterm. So you have, if you have compound corners, just by taking care of the tires on the first one, it already, have, it already helps the grip on the second and third corners and over a full stint it's going to make a magical difference and people are going to think you're cheating or something so um this is all about tire surface temperature i didn't even talk about carcass temperature i, I did you need t- to
0: leave something for the uh for the checklist right well no oh there's so <laughs> much
1: more man i would not be able to explain it here i literally <laughs> spending tw- 12 hours a day for the last 2 months to try to make the most complete course possible so i i don't even try to hold any secrets because if you, want, if you want more, like I, I'm not capable of, of explaining it here. So yeah. that's why I'm giving it away because it, there's more there. There's <laughs> a lot more there.
0: I love it. I love it. Swellio, thank you so much for your time. I have absolutely loved recording this podcast. Every minute of it has been fantastic. Thank you so much for giving us the, the time. Um, yeah, and good luck with the, with the launch of the course and congratulations on the new book and enjoy the, uh, the radical season next year. I mean, there's so much exciting stuff to look forward to.
1: It's just starting, man. I'm going to continue working to, to delivering the best possible, the best experience for the viewer, the best experience for me as a driver living these, uh, these chapters. I, see, I, I went to watch the Gran Turismo movie recently. I was like, oh, man, I'm living this, and this is so exciting. So <laughs> it's all in to, to give the, 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 the best content possible for you guys. Thank you so much.
0: Love it. Thanks, Goddio.